Welcome to the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection Podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today's guest is Rob Cuff, Certified Athletic Administrator and Executive Director of the Utah High School Activities Association. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks, Hutch. Thanks for having me. Let's begin by having you share with our audience here in Utah nationally where you grew up in that Richfield area and tales from your youth, uh, playing sports, uh, growing up, first first job maybe before you went off to college? So I grew up in Richfield, Utah, which is considered central Utah, down uh, kind of on the I, well, the I-70 interchange uh, freeway before it gets to Coport, but most people know where Richfield is in Utah, but uh, out of state, a lot of people will pass through Richfield when they're on I-70 headed west or from the south, they'll be going east. So anyway, it was great. It was, uh, it was fun growing up in a small town. My dad was my high school basketball coach, so we were a sports family. I'm the oldest of uh, five, so I have four siblings, a sister and three brothers. We were all involved in sports. Um, I don't know if my mom liked that entirely, but we kind of followed after my dad and the love of sports. So I'm a typical basketball coach's dad, uh, son where I traveled with my dad uh, on the bus trips and to practice. And that was kind of my daycare when I grew up was going to the gym after school and stay until dad went home. And, and then I got the opportunity to play for my dad in uh, basketball and baseball. And it was a great experience to be able to do that. Um, Two of my siblings have gone into education. Both my mom and dad are, were school teachers. They're retired now. Uh, got a brother who uh, went into coaching and has been a basketball coach uh, throughout the state and a sister who teaches elementary school in the Nebo School District. So uh, we are an education-based family when it comes to educators. And uh, it was a great life growing up and, and being involved with with my family having summers off with my mom and dad and, and being able to, to have the same off days and school days and holidays as uh, my parents. Let me follow up with this question. I've never met your sister, but I have met your brother, Ryan, who, as you said, is a, a very successful basketball coach. So how much younger is he than you? Did you get to play with him at the high school? And who won the driveway basketball games well I was four years older so that was my advantage and uh, he got to play with all of my friends as sometimes little brothers get to do my sister is in between us uh, she's two years younger than me two years older than Ryan and uh, I always won the driveway battles he'll tell you that he never was able to beat me but I will tell you that I never played him once he got off his mission either I was smart enough to know that I had 
diminished and he had gotten bigger and stronger. And so the one-on-one -on -one battles were done when I went on my mission when he was four years younger. So we never really got to play together uh, in a high school setting. Uh, as I mentioned, my, my dad was my basketball coach. And so I played for him. And then my dad actually uh, stepped away from coaching basketball my senior year after I had graduated and just focused on baseball. Uh, and then Ryan played for a new coach. Ryan was a ninth grader when I was, a, or excuse me, an eighth grader when I was a senior. And then once I graduated, he came in as a ninth grader and uh, was a, had a very successful career at Richfield and then obviously went and played it at BYU and Arizona State and Weber State. Um, I came home from my mission, got right into coaching. I was fortunate to get on as an assistant coach at Mountain View High School where I was going to BYU and getting my degree and uh, coached for Carl, or with Carl Ingersoll longtime high school basketball coach in Utah. After one year, I went over and was on Roger Reed's coaching staff as a graduate assistant. I was still an undergrad, but it held that role. And I was actually the BYU JV basketball coach. While for three years as I was at BYU, I was the last BYU JV coach before they dropped the program um, back in 1993. So that's kind of how I got my start. I don't want to get too far ahead, Hutch, but that's kind okay. of the background. So, and so, how was it? Uh, did they have uh, decent uh, little league basketball and baseball leagues in Richfield, or was because basically Richfield's the biggest city between Utah County? Well, I guess till you get to Cedar, between Payson and Cedar City, basically. Yeah. I mean, we have the only Walmart, so I think that Walmart serves six counties, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, it's a good sized city. It's 8,500 people, I would guess. It might be a little bit bigger than that now. We had a graduating class at Richfield of 113, 115 students in my senior class. Uh, we were always a 2A school when, when I played and when my dad coached all those years, they were, were basically a 2A school. They're 3A now with the additional classifications. But when I was an athlete, we only had four classifications in the state. And since then, we've added 5A and 6A. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's, we had Bantam leagues. Um, I remember playing Bantam basketball at the local armory. That was where we went to play our games uh, at the junior high. There's an old junior high in Richfield, and we played a lot of our Bantam games. When I say Bantam, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I don't really remember playing organized sports before the sixth grade. Uh, it could have been fifth grade. Uh, we played a lot of Little League baseball, though I remember starting Little League baseball at, at a young age, maybe eight or nine, uh, and playing the coach pitch first and, and then just working up. But uh, we didn't really have any football opportunities till I got into ninth grade and was able to play football at Richfield. Um, we, I played for Coach uh, Paul Messersmith, a longtime football coach, and Actually, in 1984, when I was a junior, we won Richfield's only state championship in football in the history of the school, uh, which was uh, one of the greatest memories that I've had, too, as, as an athlete. And then we followed it up with a basketball championship that, that uh, March, that same, my same junior year, 1985. Uh, that was my dad's last state championship as a coach. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a rare combination, football and basketball in the same year. I had a comment uh, regarding 
the four classifications when you played, um, <laughs> when I played, I think it was still A and B. A and, I think it, no, I think it was A and B. <laughs> although it might have maybe right when I graduated in '71 or close thereafter, they went to like a double A, 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 and a and three, uh, yeah. yeah type of a thing. So yeah. That just makes me a little bit older than you. Well, I know they had two classifications through almost the end of the 60s. So it wasn't much before that, that they only had the two. And like you said, when you were an athlete, they may have added the third. I think there was, I'm trying to think back. I think there was, I think there was eight regions when I was a senior in high school. And the, the top four regions were class A and I, I think we had nine or 10 teams. I mean, it was Highland, Skyline, East, West, South, Viewmont, Davis, Bountiful. There was no Woods Cross then. Mm -hmm. I'm trying, Layton was probably in there. And then, uh, and I, Clearfield. yeah, Clearfield. And I think there was only, I think in football, it was uh, the top two teams from each league went. So it was an eight team tournament. So quarterfinals were the first round, and uh, and that was that. But of course, things are so much different now. You mentioned your father; I'm sure a great mentor and leader in your life. And maybe mention some of the other mentors or leaders you had that had an effect on you growing up, or even after you started your career in coaching. Certainly, Paul Messersmith, my football coach. My dad was my baseball and basketball coach. Niall Norris, the late Niall Norris, a forever track and field cross country coach at Richfield. I, I was able to be on the track track team with him as well. Uh, his son, Troy Norris, longtime coach at Panguage in a lot of different sports as well. A great mentor, great role model, a person I looked up to a lot. And then when I, when I got out of high school, went on my mission to Dallas, came home, uh, wanted to be a coach like my dad. So I immediately, while I was a student at BYU, got into coaching, as I mentioned earlier, with Carl Ingersoll, who was the head basketball coach at Mountain View High School. I was his assistant, coached the sophomores, then went over to BYU as the JV coach and was fortunate to be on the staff with Roger Reed, Tony Engel, uh, Charles Bradley, uh, Jeff Reinert, and all great people. Learned a lot from each one of them. Uh, and then when I went back to Mountain View after I had graduated, of course, Joel Gardner was the person that hired me. Bill Delaney was the principal. Joel was the AD. And Joel was a role model for me as well and became even more so as I got into athletic administration. And certainly I was coaching his son, which was a great opportunity, who's now the head basketball coach at Skyridge. Uh, he's been at Brighton, been at Mountain View as the head coach. He was on my state championship teams as my point guard. So I would say that those are my role models. Uh, Certainly John Wooden has been, had an effect on my life. My, my dad's hero was John Wooden and he was an English teacher. That's what I ended up being was an English teacher. And so I have confided in a lot of John Wooden throughout my life, both in basketball and also philosophy and education. And I own 13 of his books. I don't know how many books he ended up with, but I have 13 of them <laughs> and look at them often. And so and I was able to meet him in 1998 uh, at the Utah Tip-Off Club, which was a club that was pretty much organized and founded by Tony Engel in our state. 
And they would bring John Wooden in every year to kind of give away the coaches awards. And, and I got to meet him. I was fortunate to be the Utah's coach of the year in high school uh, in 1998 and have pictures with him that I have here in my office and was a great inspiration to me. And though I don't feel like we were close enough to where he would remember me, but I felt like his inspiration and motivation was enough and, and certainly his life lessons and education-based sure. activities. Share with our audience what your biggest failure was and what you learned from it. Well, speaking of coaching, I think all of us coaches have had failures. <laughs> and, uh, my, uh, I, I didn't spend a lot of time at Mountain View. Uh, I spent eight great years, one as an assistant coach and seven as a head coach. But in my second year of coaching, I, I had my best team in all of those years, and we didn't win the state championship. And, and I would say that that would probably be one of my regrets is not being able to prepare that team well enough to win the state championship. Um, we won 22 games that year and didn't win this championship. I had a team that won 18 games and won a championship. I had a team that won 20 games and won a championship. But this was a special team. There were there. It was only my second year coaching. I had inherited some good players. I was still learning the ropes as a head coach. I, I was very, very young. Uh, I was uh, just kind of filling my way through it. And, and we got upset in the, in the quarterfinals uh, to a team that I know that uh, was more prepared than we were. And to that day, I, I vowed that I would have my teams more prepared than I did. And we were fortunate to win back-to-back -back state championships. But one thing that I was very blessed with uh, at Mountain View was having good players and having good assistant coaches and having a good support staff and administrators. And, and I could have stayed at Mountain View for a long time. And I had this opportunity, and we'll probably get into that, which took me away from coaching. But well, that's the perfect segue because the next question is, so what made you decide to leave a place like Mountain View, a place where you were successful, back-to-back -back state championships, all of a sudden, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to apply to go work at the UHSAA. So how does that work? So I had aspirations of being a college coach at one time when I got right into coaching. I had had all those mentors that I mentioned, and a lot of them were college coaches. And and I thought that that might be the thing for me. I I really was oh, not. Let me, inter let me interrupt you right here. A, a thought just came to me. And if I don't ask, I'm going to forget it. So did you ever coach against your brother, Ryan? Yeah, I'm undefeated in that, by the way, as well. Really? So um, let, let's go there quickly. And I want to get back to that. So played him a couple of times, once or twice or three times. So in okay. my last three years at Mountain View, we were a 5A school and he was a 4A school. So we didn't have to play each other in region, but we did play each other in preseason. And we were the bigger school back then. I know that that's changed now where Mountain View is a smaller school and Lone Peak's the bigger school. But during right. that time, this is, this is pre-Timpanogos High School and, and okay. Mountain View and Orem were very, very big schools. And we had scheduled each other. We wanted to play each other. We thought, and there were a lot of articles written about that and our battle with each other, which was kind of fun. And mom and dad would come and they would sit exactly on the 50 yard <laughs> line in the gym and Usually mom would wear one school stuff and dad would wear the other school stuff and then they would switch the next year. So we had a lot of fun with it, had a lot of close games, but uh, 
And then Ryan ended up winning a state championship at Lone Peak after I was done at Mountain View. So it was probably good I didn't play him that year. But uh, it was it was fun. There were some great battles, and and Lone Peak had not been a school for very long when Ryan got there as the head basketball coach, and and we played for three times before I went to the UHSA. That's excellent. I sorry to digress. So let's get back to and you know when you're old like me, if you get a thought, you forget it. So I had to throw that in there. So and I had no idea that about. you you we were talking about how you decided to leave. Uh, the good life, the good coaching position at Mountain View and take the job at the UHSAA. You were explaining how you had wanted to be a college coach and then I interrupted you. <laughs> so I did. I, did. I had some aspirations of going college and, and, and seeing what I could do with that and, and working my way that way somehow. Um, but as I got into athletic administration, as I mentioned earlier, Joel Gardner is just a tremendous person and a, a great athletic director and a great former basketball coach at Mountain View and at Orem. And as I worked closely with him, I could see that the administration side of things was, was very intriguing as well. And I really didn't want to be a high school principal. I, I kind of wanted to do something in administration, whether that be an athletic director or continue coaching or do both. But when the opportunity came to apply at UHSAA, I just kind of threw my hat in there. And I had known Evan through coaching for a long time. My dad had known Evan a long time. That was kind of a relationship that we had had with him as a family. And I figured, you know, those, those positions don't open very often. And uh, I was just going to kind of throw my name in the hat, so to speak, and, and see what happens. I was only 33 years old. Uh, we'd just come off back-to-back -back state championships. Uh, I'd only coached for seven years as a head coach. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go through the interview process, see what happens. And then maybe next time, five, 10 years from now, that position might open again and I'll, I'll have maybe an advantage. And so when I went through the, the interview process, that exact question that you're referring to came up. And, the, and Farrell Heaton was the one that asked. Farrell Heaton longtime athletic director and coach in Valley, who I had known through my dad, uh, asked the question, are you ready to give up coaching? And it just hit me then, like, what am I really trying to do here? And, and I had to answer the question honestly, which was, if the opportunity comes that I would be an assistant for the UHSAA, then I would have to make a really, really tough decision. And I don't, didn't know if I was prepared for that at the moment to, to make that decision, but I would, I would have to consult with my wife and make that tough decision. Well, the opportunity did come. Uh, this was in, I wanna say end of July, 2001. We had gone through the summer. I'd had my summer basketball camps. We'd done some summer leagues. I was really excited about my team for the next year. And my family, my wife and I, and, we had a young family at the time made the decision to, to accept the position at Utah High School Activities and to forego coaching at that point. And it was really hard. That was probably the hardest thing I've had to do um, is tell my team that I was not going to be their coach the next year. And there were a lot of hugs, a lot of tears. Uh, it was a tough transition. Uh, like I said, we had spent the whole summer together, the whole spring together. Uh, but I knew who Evan Exel was. I knew who Jerry Bovey was and Dave Wilkie and 
I just felt it was the right time for me to get into administration and to take advantage of the opportunity. And the rest is history. So you moved into the UHSA building in the fall of 2001. Now, see, I have lost memory of when the new building was built, but that's got to be the old building you moved into, correct? Yeah, 2001, there was kind of an interesting timeline. We moved into a new house in February. My last daughter, my fourth child, our youngest, was born in June. I took this job end of July. 9-11 happened September 11th, 2001, less than a month after I took this position. And then we moved into the new building December of 2001. So I was actually, my office was in the halls of the old building. They didn't have enough offices for me to have. Yeah, I was going to say you would have been in the hallway then. So I had a desk right across from Jerry Bobby's office in the hall. I had my own phone line, fortunately. I remember that. Cell phones were just barely starting to be a big thing. But um, five months later, I we moved over into the new office now or new office at the time, our office now. And we just celebrated 20 years in this office just probably a week ago. Yeah. Incredible. That's yeah. Those those bring back memories of uh, I can I can remember that old boardroom not being big enough for the executive committee or the board of trustees it was a circular building it was very unique it was an architecture's dream when he built it that it was going to be something that was going to catch on and and there were a lot of problems with it and and so basically it, it in our offices now those that are familiar with where our offices are it just set west of our current offices and we actually own the property that our offices are now we owned that property. We sold where the old building was and helped pay for the new building. And so we're a little bit east of where that building existed for a long time. But the same address. Same at we kept the same address. I don't know how we did that, but we did. Yeah. And the uh and, but I'm assuming that the building's paid off now. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Evan actually had it paid off before he left. It was uh something that he really wanted to have finished and and done uh, before he left in 2008. And so we, we, like I said, a big chunk of the down payment was, uh, was taken care of with the land sale. And then we just, uh, Evan was able to manage extra payments and we were able to, the board allowed us to get it paid off as soon as possible. So it's been a great blessing for our budget and not being able to have to raise prices for tickets as fast as maybe some other associations have had to do when their rents have gone up or uh, the cost of building has gone up. Uh, We have been able to kind of maintain the current ticket prices, especially for students. Students at $5, it was $4 for a long, long time and it's been $5 for a long, long time. Our adult ticket price has gone up from $6 to 10 over the course of maybe 20 years, maybe even 25 years. So compared to other states, uh, we've been able to try to keep our budget uh, reasonable and manageable and therefore not have to have as much revenue stream. It's also been able to keep our schools and their payments lower 
the first thing I did as an executive director in 2009 was cut our uh, member schools dues from $500 a year to 250. We'd have been able to sustain that for the last 13 years and not been able to raise that. Uh, and then schools only pay for those uh, activities that they participate in and it's relatively low. It's only $50 per activity. Uh, actually, it's been 40, now it's $60 per activity uh, with just an increase this year, but it had been $40 for long before I got here, probably back into yeah. certainly the 90s. It was 40, I, it had been 40 all those years I was at Jordan. I don't remember it ever being any different. Let, let me ask you this. And, and let me Give, say, that's just, those yeah. are really the only two things the schools pay for that aren't direct service payments like assigning officials and right. insurance and those types of things. So it's 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 Evan, it's uh, Dave Wilkie, it's Jerry Bovey, it's you. And then I want to say that, uh, my goodness, within a three-year time period, if I'm right, then all of a sudden it's just you with a brand new staff because uh, Jerry had left, gone up to Weber. I know Evan left. I don't remember the exact year, but then it was to Dave who thought everyone thought, well, it'll be Dave's for a while. And he stayed a year. So give us a timeline. And then all of a sudden how that affects you all of a sudden you're the man. And all of a sudden you got a brand new staff around you. Yeah. So I was, I was the first third assistant in history. So prior to me, they'd only had Jerry and Dave as two assistants. Jerry was the second assistant in history. Dave was the first assistant in history. So you yeah. can kind of see that those positions didn't open up very often. Uh, it was a one person show for a long time till the early seventies when Marion Tree was the executive director and hired Dave Wilkie as his assistant to pretty much get girls sports off the ground back in 19, early 1970s. I mean, we're celebrating mm -hmm. Title IX's 50th anniversary this year. And that's basically when Dave was hired was to, to get Title IX off the ground. And, and so, and Dave was very young when he got hired here. He had only spent maybe one or two years in the public school system and, and had student taught up at Wasatch High School and Marion Tree was his principal. And, and that's where that relationship was built. And, and so, we really didn't have a fourth assistant until I became executive director. So you can kind of see that, you know, those positions were kind of held by one person until we got to the fourth position. And then we started getting some turnover, but I'm, I'm very proud to say that, that the assistants that I have had, which uh, including Jerry Bovey, who was before me, that wasn't one of my assistants, but ended up going to a college position at Weber state that every one of the assistants that I've had have either retired or have gone to other positions, uh, either as an athletic director or an athletic pro uh, program of some kind, back to the high schools as a principal. Uh, Kim Monkers and Ryan Bishop have done that. Uh, Kevin Dustin has gone at Salt Lake Community College as the athletic director. Bart Thompson left as my assistant to be uh, my position in Nevada as the executive director in Nevada. Uh, Mike Petty and Becky Anderson both retired. Uh, and then we've got the current staff now. And so we've had a lot of assistance in the last 13 years since I've been executive director, but 
not all of them have retired and some of them have taken other positions and, and you know, of elevation in their mind and gone back either into the high schools as principals, assistant principals or onto athletic director jobs. But I've had tremendous assistance. That's, that's been, Evan always said his, his legacy is gonna be uh, the people he worked with. And I can say the same thing that, that basically if you hire good people and you let them do their jobs, um, they'll make you look good. And I, I really feel like we've got a good chemistry here with our current staff uh, who know what they're doing in each of their lanes. Uh, we don't try to cross over our lanes as too much. Uh, and, you know, having a female assistant director starting with Becky Anderson and then Kim Wonkers and now Jan Whitaker has been a great blessing to our association. And that's basically why we have another position is another assistant director. And, and now with adding the sports that we have the last few years, uh, boys and girls lacrosse and girls wrestling, competitive cheer. And then we have a couple others that are knocking on the door that, that perhaps it might be time for a fifth assistant in the high school activities association. And that just shows the growth I know when I got here in 2001, we had maybe 115 to 120 member schools. We have 158 member schools starting next fall. Uh, we have another classification, 6A, since I've been the executive director. They added 5A when Evan became the executive director back in the early 90s. So there has been a tremendous growth in the state of Utah. Our population is only getting bigger. There's gonna be more and more district schools, there'll probably be more and more charter and private schools. And so Utah is one of the fastest growing places and that's just evident from, from our staff and, and, and what's transpired from just me being added as a third assistant 20 years ago. And now here we are with four knocking on the door for five. So over the past 20 years, what would you consider some of your Business, biggest successes at the UHSAA? Well, I think certainly uh, the, the building, as we've already mentioned, uh, was a big thing uh, to, to get out of that other building so that we could grow. Uh, we do have an unfinished basement still where we can still grow. Uh, we use that now for storage, uh, but there is a possibility of getting that finished off at some point at the appropriate time. Um, I think certainly the growth in membership has been tremendous, as I just mentioned, almost 30 plus schools, almost 40 schools, um, of, you know, just in the last 20 years. Uh, the sports that I just mentioned in the last three to five years have been huge. Um, the rise of girls sports, you know, you talk about girls lacrosse, you talk about girls wrestling, competitive cheer now, which is really uh, more girls than boys, even though it is a mixed team. Um, so those, those are, are growth times in, in the association. Uh, certainly the job has changed. The job has changed a lot. Uh, at one point, the executive director had sports of their own and they were kind of the director of those sports. Now I spend most of my time uh, dealing with transfer situations dealing with realignment now that's every two years instead of every four years like it used to be, uh, legislative issues, uh, litigation or court issues, uh, 
answering questions, dealing with relationships with parents, things of those sort that call in here. Uh, th those things have made the job even harder. You're more accessible now uh, with cell phones and emails. It's very hard to get away from the job. It's almost a 24 seven. Uh, athletic directors can relate to that. They're in the trenches. They understand what I'm saying. When, when does the job ever end? Do you, can you ever get away from it? And uh, I just think with social media, with the emails, with cell phones, I think um, most everybody's job has changed to a degree and it's no different in the UHSAA. Let's talk for a moment about your current position, not in Utah, but your current position nationally. And I, I wanna bring in uh, Big Rich Barton, who is also a Richfield kid. And it's, I don't know if it's amazing, that's not the right word, but as you well know, Rich has served as president of the NIAAA. You are currently the president of the National Federation of High Schools. And I think it says a lot for Utah, obviously, to have a president in both organizations, but both presidents having to be, having been from Richfield, I think really sticks out. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. Uh, Rich and I go way back to our playing days. I think he graduated in 86, the same year I did, but he, he graduated from Cedar City High School and I was at Richfield High School. And, but if you really, really add the years together, he's lived in Richfield probably longer than I have. Yeah. Because once I went on my mission, I, I haven't lived there since. And so if I've lived there 20, he's probably lived there 30. So even though I grew up there, Rich probably has more years there. In fact, I know he does. Yeah. But to have that connection, that that common denominator of, of Richfield, Utah, and where that is, I'm, and then to represent what we've done nationally is, is just, I'm very humbled by it and very honored by it. It's it's a situation where you really don't ask to, to be in that situation. It's more a respect thing from your peers that allow you for the opportunity to lead a group. Uh, Rich led the NIAAA board of directors and was the NIAAA president. And I'm leading an NFHS board of directors and the president of the NFHS, which really are one in a lot of ways. They're, they're very partnered similar to how we are in Utah with UHSAA and UIAAA and and really to do it right there's no other way to do it I mean we have to be together we have to be on the same page we have to have the same goals uh, we have to be able to work together uh, and fortunately for me I've had the experience of being in the trenches and knowing and watching a great athletic director, Joel Gardner, and being able to be his assistant and was named the athletic director at Mountain View when Joel retired. And so I was the athletic director for about five months from April to, to August before I came to the UHSAA. So I really wasn't able to get a full year under my belt as the, as the athletic director, but I had assisted Joel as administrative assistant and assistant athletic director. And that's where I got my CAA is really mm -hmm. Joel's influence. We did it together and became certified athletic administrators a long time ago when there weren't that many. Uh, and so it was a privilege for me in the late 90s to be able to, to get that certification and to know how important it was. And it was very important to Evan Exel as well, 
And, and I think that was one of the reasons I was considered for this job. He thought it was very important as I have done with my assistants uh, to, to get that certification. And I, I know John and Jan, or uh, John Oglesby and Jan Whitaker are two of our newest CAAs and, and have done a great job of, of, of doing that. And I'm very proud of them. But getting back to the national aspect, Kutch, it is very humble or humbling and a great opportunity. Uh, I'm glad it's a one-year position because it does take a lot of extra work. It's not my new job, it's just an added job, uh, but I'm very much involved in planning agendas and, and doing things for the NFHS. We have four board meetings per year, uh, plus some of my duties and responsibilities are to preside at our conferences. Uh, we have our uh, winter meeting that's coming up here in two weeks uh, in San Diego, where we'll have national council and business meetings and, and things of that sort, where we will conduct the business of the National Federation. And then our summer conferences in July, June and July, just the last week of June, first part of July. And that's where my term as president will end and I will actually roll off of the NFHS board of directors at that time, having served the last four years on that, that board. Talk for just a couple of minutes about what a crazy September you just had, just three months ago, having to deal with the Federation. And that's probably the most demanding part of the whole one year is that uh, all of our sections have their section meetings back to back. So starting actually before Labor Day and ending the first week of October, uh, there are seven different section meetings that I attended and shared board values and board priorities and spoke to the whole membership section by section. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually have eight sections, in, just like the NIAAA, but our section seven and eight do our, our section meeting together. Uh, so there were actually seven stops and uh, it was like home one day and then gone for five or six days and then home one day and then gone for seven or eight days. I, think I added up that I, I spent four nights in the month of September in my own bed. Wow. That, I, was, I was out and about and, and really got to see the country, got to be with the membership to develop those relationships even stronger than they were before because it was at a smaller scale. Uh, you're talking about maybe five to eight states is all in those sections. And it was just awesome to be able to travel with Dr. Carissa Niehoff and Davis Whitfield from the NFHS, who are our executive director and our chief operating officer, and be able to go to each of those and, and to be able to network and be able to get feedback from our members and our membership, our member states. Yeah, fascinating. Let's let's close up with a couple of questions, Rob. The first one being, after your years of experience in athletic administration, 20 now, if you had two pieces of advice for a brand new athletic administrator, that they would absolutely follow these two pieces of advice that you gave them, and they would be a success, what would those two things be? Well, ironically, when I got this job, Evan Exel said there's three things, and that is one relationships, two relationships, and three yeah. relationships. So rather than that be my only two, it's right. certainly my number one, is, is develop whatever relationships you can with whoever you can, 
in what the light of work that you do, watch other athletic directors and athletic administrators, ask them what is going well for them, ask them what they would do over, uh, just build that relationship so that you have a network of individuals that you can reach out to, that you can contact to, that you can rely on, that you have trust in and confidence in, and they will help you. There's, there's no way you can do this work by yourself. There's no way you can invent everything that you need to do. And in 99% of it's already done for you. Uh, if you just know what questions to ask and where to find it. I know the LTC courses, I hope I said that right. The NIAAA mm -hmm. have been a tremendous asset for athletic administrators, template after template of forms and things that they can use that will assist them in their duties and responsibilities as an athletic administrator. So relationships would be number one. I think number two is, is that it's going to be a lifelong journey and a lifelong learning. You're not going to be the perfect athletic administrator in your first year. You're going to look back, even if you think you're doing everything exactly right, you're going to look back and say, I'm going to do this a little bit different, or I've been doing this the wrong way. I want to correct it. Don't be afraid to change. Uh, don't get stuck in a rut to where you feel like you, you know, you got Groundhog's Day and you're just doing the same routine over and over and over. Have the flexibility to change because you can always improve and get better. And you improve and get better by doing it together. And that's where the relationships and our, my second point about being flexible go hand in hand. Well said. What question should I have asked you, Rob, that I failed to ask? Shot clock. Okay, <laughs> let's talk. Let's let's finish up with the shot clock because we know what's coming down the pike. So that's been the buzzword for a long time, right? Uh huh. And finally, the uh, the National Federation of State High Schools and the Basketball Rules Committee specifically, and we as an NFHS board of directors also approved that states could adopt a shot clock without losing their representation on the National Rules Committee. And that was a big thing for the state of Utah and our UHSA Board of Trustees was is that we didn't want to do the shot clock and then lose the opportunity to be represented on the National Rules Committee. And so that has been the hurdle and the stumbling block in the past that was lifted this past year. And our state went right to work on determining whether or not our administrators and our coaches were ready for the shot clock. And we've done a lot of surveys and there's gonna be a presentation and probably a vote in our January meeting on January 12th. So instead of saying what I think might happen, uh, that might be a good day for a lot of people, but uh, we're gonna to have to wait for sure to kind of see what happens. But we've had a committee put together, a steering committee who, have, uh, who has analyzed uh, the pros and cons to a shot clock, certainly costs are one of the things that has been talked about. And not only the cost of the equipment, but also the cost of putting an extra body at the scores table to run the shot clock. Uh, and not only at the varsity level, but are we going to do it at every level, uh, which includes the sub varsity levels. And if you do it at every level, and if you have a second gym, what are you going to do in the second gym? All those questions have come up officiating 
Uh, officiating with the shot clock is going to be a little bit different. I don't think it's going to be much more difficult, but it will be different. Uh, you, you know, as a basketball fan, if you are, that you have issues with the score clock at the end of quarters, stopping it in time, it going off when it shouldn't. That's going to happen more often with the shot clock because uh, you're going to have a clock mm -hmm. on every position. So those are concerns, pros and cons that we've talked about, uh, but the vote will come uh, in January on whether or not the shot clock will be implemented for the next basketball season, 2022-2023. The committee could decide to implement it later than that year, uh, but that will be the question on January 12th. Well, that's great information. And actually by the time this episode airs, it will be past the January 12th. So when people are listening to this, they'll say, hey, we've already decided one way or the other. So, yeah. So if the shot clock doesn't get implemented for next year, it could be implemented in the future. I don't want people to think that because it wasn't, it's a dead issue because that is the big question right now is when to implement it. It could be as soon as next, next basketball season, but it will be implemented as soon as possible with the blessing of our member schools, their administrators, their coaches. And uh, it's been a long time coming and we now have the opportunity to at least discuss it. Well, there you have it. That wraps it up for another edition of the UI AAA Connection. Once again, our host, or not our host, our guest today has been Rob Cuff, Certified Athletic Administrator and Executive Director of the UHSAA. Thanks for being part of the show, Rob. Thanks so much, Hutch. And, and let me just say thank you to the UIAAA and all the great athletic administrators that we have in the state of Utah. And we really do, and, and me personally, feel that that, uh, that work is an, an unthankful position a lot of times, and, and it certainly doesn't go unnoticed. And we appreciate all the work that's being done in our member schools and a lot of that work in the in the spirit of athletics is done with the athletic director. So thank you. Well, thank you for your kind words for our listeners. We hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the UI AAA Connection. See you next week. <laughs>